Hello, welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I am the executive director of Healthcare Voter, and I am also a stage four cancer survivor and uh, the insurance and the care that I received through the Affordable Care Act saved my life. So healthcare is personal for me and I am pleased to help answer your questions along with our panel of experts today and every Monday. So please call or text in your questions and we will get you answers. Uh, I am delighted to introduce Alika from Health Sherpa to talk a little bit more about open enrollment uh, and what's happening in some states right now. Alika? Laura. Um, so in most states, the open enrollment uh, period, the annual period where anyone can enroll in uh, affordable care insurance has now ended, but in certain states, you still have time to enroll. Um, in New York, the deadline is tomorrow uh, to enroll in coverage for this year. Um, so if you are in New York, get shopping ASAP. Um, if you are in Colorado or in uh, Maryland, you have until at least the end of the month. So you have a little more time. Uh, we would always recommend um, going to your uh, state exchange website, um, seeing what you qualify for as soon as possible to make sure your coverage kicks in um, ACB. Great. And what should people do right now if they're in a state that doesn't have open enrollment? Uh, are there reasons that they could still be eligible through, uh, for an insurance plan through the ACA? Yes, there are. Um, if you have what's called a qualifying life event, um, you can qualify to enroll um, at any point in the year, um, generally within about 60 days of that life event. The most common one is losing coverage through, for example, uh, a job or through Medicaid. Um, but if you have gotten married, had a baby, uh, recently been released from incarceration, become a citizen, there are many, many reasons that you might um, still be eligible to enroll. If you're not sure if one of those situations applies to you or you think you apply for a, a qualify for a different reason, um, you can call us at HealthSherpa, you can call healthcare.gov or your state exchange. Uh, work with a trusted local broker or a sister and see if you still might be eligible. And yeah. what about if you're low income? Uh, so are there specific times to enroll in Medicaid if you're eligible? Great question. Um, so Medicaid eligibility, um, uh, Medicaid enrollment is actually year round. So if you qualify in your state, and really important to note that states uh, eligibility requirements for Medicaid can vary. Um, in most states, if you make Below about $1,500 a month, uh, you may qualify as a single person and more for families, you may qualify for Medicaid. And again, that's lower no-cost coverage um, offered through a state-federal partnership. It's going to have really low co-pays and um, can be a really great option for many people. So if you are lower income, um, always worth uh, going to your state Medicaid office, um, checking to see if that might be something you qualify for. If you apply through HealthSherpa or healthcare.gov, we will also automatically screen you to see if you might be eligible for Medicaid as well. Okay. And what if you're not eligible for any of these things and the time to enroll is passed? Can you talk a little bit about uh, short-term plans and how they work? Great question. So if you are um, in a situation where you don't currently qualify to enroll on the Affordable Care Act marketplace, um, you might come across um, other types of insurance products like short-term health insurance, health sharing ministries. There's a, a wide variety of products that are on offer. Um, what we say for these is it's really important to read the fine print. Um, these kinds of products are not held to the same standards as affordable care plans. 
They don't necessarily have to cover pre-existing conditions, um, may not offer coverage for things like preventive care or maternity care or mental health or a wide variety of things. So, you know, if you're in an option where you, in a situation where you have no other options, that's definitely something you can look into, but really be careful and, and buyer beware. Okay. And the next uh, period for open enrollment is in November? That's right. Um, in most uh, states, uh, open enrollment um, has gone uh, historically from November 1st to December 15th. Um, the uh, uh, healthcare.gov actually extended that this year. So it went through January 15th. But it's important to know that um, states that run their own marketplaces that don't use healthcare.gov do have slightly different dates. So it's always worth double checking what the uh, enrollment period is going to be in your specific state. I will also mention, if none of the uh, those other qualifying life events uh, apply to you, um, like losing a job, having a baby, uh, moving, um, there is a new special enrollment period that is currently being finalized by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. It has not gone live yet, but I'm sure we will talk about it on the show. So stay tuned. Um, and that is going to be a special enrollment period uh, based on your income. So if you make less than about $20,000 a year as a single person or $40,000 a year as a family, and none of those other life events apply to you, stay tuned. You might soon have an opportunity to enroll any time in the year. Thanks. And so we will keep you uh, up to date on that as it uh, is enacted. So next, I'd like to introduce our special guest today, Wendell Potter, uh, who's going to share a little bit about his personal story and how he got involved in healthcare reform. And he has some inside information from the other side of the story from his time as an insurance executive. Uh, Wendell, welcome to Care Talk. A former health insurance company executive, as you noted, I used to work on uh, what many people call the dark side, and I would agree with them. I was uh, um, head of corporate communications for Humana and Insigna altogether about 20 years, and I left uh, after what I have often referred to as a crisis of conscience. I couldn't keep doing what I was doing, and I've uh, since then have, have uh, continued to be a very vocal critic of my old industry and spent a lot of time actually 10 year, a little over 10 years ago in Washington, uh, working with members of Congress and uh, the Obama administration at that time uh, as uh, uh, Congress was, was working on what became the Affordable Care Act. So uh, you've been watching, I assume, uh, the uh, process in uh, Congress right now in trying to pass uh, reform, uh, Build Back Better uh, is what it's been called that would make Affordable Care Act insurance plans more affordable, lower the cost of prescription drugs, and so on. Uh, and so far, it's stalled out in the Senate. Can you talk a little bit about all the players in healthcare and why they might be spending millions of dollars to stop legislation like this? Yes, and uh, it's it's just absolutely a wonder that the Affordable Care Act got passed. As, as you may remember, it was it passed by the slimmest of votes, just by one vote in the Senate. Uh, and could easily have failed. Um, but um, the, 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 the reality is that the big entrenched special interests are even, are just even more powerful now than they were back then. And you've got in this piece of legislation uh, aspects of it that the pharmaceutical industry hates, that the insurance industry hates. So when you've got those two big industries 
uh, fighting to keep this from happening, uh, the chances of it moving forward are, are pretty slim, uh, regrettably. And all it takes is these big uh, corporations to get one or two members of Congress, uh, either in the Senate, as we're seeing, uh, or in the House side, uh, to uh, carry their water for them or to be a stumbling block. And that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing uh, two members of the Democratic Party in the Senate uh, just uh, uh, being the barrier to this passage that uh, the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry, frankly, wants them. Mm -hmm. And what are the kinds of things that uh, you, when you used to work at uh, a big insurance agency, would say to stop reform? And can you talk about, you know, what the, what the truth is uh, behind the things that you used to say? Well, money talks, uh, uh, to be uh, quite blunt. Uh, these big corporations and like the ones that I work for spend enormous sums of money throughout the year. Uh, to win favor. They spend money in many different ways. They uh, contribute heavily to campaigns. Uh, when I was at Cigna, my staff doled out campaign contributions to both federal and state candidates. Uh, sometimes we give more to Democrats than Republicans. Other years, it'd be just the opposite. Uh, and we would it, would it would change based on who was in power and who we needed to curry favor with. And um, they also spend huge, huge sums of money on lobbying uh, during the debate on what became the Affordable Care Act. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry spent um, more than any industry had ever spent on a single piece of legislation up until that time. Well, that record has been shattered. Uh, and you're seeing both pharmaceutical companies and insurance companies spend heavily to keep this from happening. And there are others. Uh, even even the American Dental Association has lobbied to keep uh, certain parts of this bill from passing. Uh, you might uh, not believe it, but the American Dental Association was dead set against the Medicare program being broadened or being improved to include the dental a dental benefit. And uh, you know the the bill that did pass the House uh, did not include uh, including dental for Medicare. Uh, beneficiaries, which is just an outrage. But insurance companies didn't want that either. So you had those two big uh, influential forces on Capitol Hill keeping that. Uh, it's, it's, I would say the chances of this actually being enacted uh, decrease every day. There may be something that, that can pass. But, uh, you know, drug companies wanted to, uh, you know, they don't like the idea of, of the bill being passed as it is that would allow Medicare to negotiate with pharmaceutical companies directly on a, on a number of bills, uh, a, a number of, of pharmaceuticals for medications. Um, and uh, the uh, insurance companies like things as they are. Uh, they too don't want the pharmaceutical benefit to change all that much because they make money hand over fist on the Medicare Part D probe. Uh, now, it, I mean, this sounds bleak, but uh, did you follow at all the uh, battle to end surprise medical billing in the federal legislation that passed a year or so ago? Like, how did they win that battle? Because I know millions upon millions of dollars were spent by the um, uh, 
uh, private equity firms, uh, the hedge funds that were fighting reform because that's how they made their profits. Yeah, it was it was a battle of of big industries, and you know one of them ultimately had to win, or, or, or and and the insurance companies uh, ultimately, I think, probably are the winners here. Uh, let me take that back. The American public is is we are the winners here from that that legislation passing because it does protect us from uh, being hit with bills, even with insurance uh, for one reason or another. And typically it's because of the way insurance companies configure their, their networks and saddle us without a pocket cost. It's, it's complicated, but uh, uh, you had, you had on the one hand, you had insurance companies uh, lobbying for the bill to be written in a certain way. You had private equity firms, uh, and provider organizations arguing a different way. Uh, I think what was passed was a compromise uh, as the uh, Biden administration has written the regulations, uh, the uh, um, uh, healthcare providers, doctors, uh, and doctor organizations have, have said that it, it uh, uh, went beyond or was other than the intent of Congress and it kind of tipped the, the balance in the favor of insurance companies. I think there is some validity, validity to that. Um, but it was a, a long fought slog with millions and millions and millions of dollars being sent, spent uh, by both big insurance companies and, and private equity firms. Uh, and this at the end of the day is our money, money that we spend on healthcare or health insurance premiums. Uh, uh, a percentage of it is just skimmed off to pay for lobbying and that goes into campaign contributions. Mm -hmm. Now, do you, does this give you hope at all in that, um, it, the, you know, we did eventually win on surprise medical billing federally. So what do you think are, are the uh, lessons learned from the Affordable Care Act and from surprise medical billing and from the things that have failed? Like, how do we win on making our healthcare system better on a federal level? I think, well, certainly organizing uh, for uh citizens, for people to be uh, engaged in advocacy efforts. That's very, very important. Uh, I think it, it shows you that it's, it, it is almost essential for there to be some level of compromise among the big players to get something passed. I was, as I think you know, a, a, an advocate for the Affordable Care Act. Uh, and was so grateful that it that it was passed, even though I said at the time uh, that it was not as good as it should have been. Uh, and there have been some unintended consequences even. Uh, and it also has frankly enabled insurance companies to make enormous profits uh, in, in, in the decades since it was passed. You have to know that you're when you're Dealing with the U.S. healthcare system, there are going to be winners and losers, uh, certainly in the public uh, policy arena. And uh, it's, it's just really important to understand that it is extraordinarily hard, almost impossible, to pass a piece of legislation that doesn't go through the mill of, of, of some parts of the legislation being changed along the way because these special interests are so influential, so able to influence public policy. And we saw that with the ACA. Big chunks of it were written by the lobbyists for the special interest to Midas May, but that's just the way the world is. Uh, I will say 
that I think that ultimately the, the answer here, the way that we can uh, make more progress is to address the role that money plays in our political system. That is the ultimate thing that we all need to be aware of. And it's one of the things I'm going to be focusing more and more on as, we, as I go forward with my, my work. Uh, I wrote a book a few years ago with Nick Pinneman, who uh, leads an organization called Issue One. And it was called Nation on the Take, How Big Money Corrupts Our Democracy and What We Can Do About It. Um, because of big money, it, you, you, you occasionally get victories like the ACA and the surprise bill, billing uh, legislation. They come all too infrequently. Uh, and we see that certainly at the state level, too, uh, with efforts to try to enact uh, progressive legislation or legislation that almost everyone would agree would be in the best interest of the residents of the state. Uh, and you have uh, special interests that uh, spend money uh, in enormous sums to, uh, uh, to, to block legislation. I saw it uh, in Colorado. I saw it in Nevada. I saw it in Connecticut this past last year. Uh, I worked with advocates in all those states. Uh, all three of them were trying to enact legislation to create a state-based public option. Uh, but uh, my old industry, the insurance industry uh, uh, and hospital industry, weighed in in all of those states doing their dead-level best to, to keep the legislation from passing. They succeeded entirely in Connecticut. Nothing was passed. But at least in Colorado and Nevada, uh, some some version of the legislation was passed, so that gives me some hope that um, that you 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 can make some progress. The role that I played in that, by the way, and one of the things I think is key, is to expose the other side's tactics and to expose the lies that they tell, and to make people aware of all the money that they're spending, why they're spending it, what their agenda is, and uh, that, that that can be helpful uh, if it breaks through for people to understand. Here's, you'll see all these ads on TV uh, saying that a public option is the worst thing that could possibly happen to the folks in Colorado. Uh, then if you, if you take a look at, well, who's behind those ads, uh, you'll find that it's my former colleague in any case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think it's interesting to see uh, Oregon also is uh, working on a path to a public option that um, there may be legislation next year. So it's interesting and hopeful to me to see that states are figuring things out on a statewide level, the things that maybe we can't pass right now, given who is in Congress on the federal level. I think you're absolutely right about uh, the we have to fix the problem of money out talking uh, people because wildly popular things like lowering the cost of prescription drugs, you know, that we, we pay more than any other industrialized nation for our drugs, many of which are invented right here. And that those are policy choices that big pharma backs, but uh, it's hurting Americans. Yeah. So I think, I think you're absolutely right there. It is. And, and, I think you, you also need to understand, and I think what we're seeing is that it's important to take your victories when you can. And uh, a lot of folks in the advocacy world think the word incremental is a bad word. Uh, and that if you can't get the whole enchilada, uh, then you have failed. Um, I'm not one of those folks. I think that having been in the industry, having served in the role that I, I served in, I know how much money is spent and I know the tactics. I know that lying works. 
you know, I used to be a propagandist, so I, I know how that works. Um, one of the things that, that I'm uh, leading right now is a coalition of organizations to educate the public on the ever-increasing problem of underinsurance of people who have insurance, but in many cases are functionally uninsured because they have to pay so much out of their own pockets before their coverage will kick in. And this is true of people who get their coverage regrettably through uh, the ACA marketplace plans as well as employer-based plans. So uh, the coalition that I lead called Lore Out of Pockets Now uh, is focused on educating the public, policymakers, and employers about how devastating these can be to so many families. It uh, uh, sends so many people into bankruptcy, so many families into bankruptcy, and others, uh, when they get the care that they, they have to have into medical debt, they often will probably never pay off. And it also keeps a lot of people from getting the care that they need in, need in the first place. And they will delay getting going for a diagnosis that could have saved their life if they had gotten or, you know, going to a doctor when they had symptoms, but they just were afraid uh, that it would cost them too much. It's, it's having a huge effect uh, in that regard as well, too. So, you know, that's an example of tackling one part of our healthcare system that needs to be addressed. And I do think, and in fact, I know there is bipartisan support for that as well, too. Uh, I do know also that my old industry uh, will be trying to stand in the way to keep progress from happening. But you've, uh, I think it's really important to, to be in the arena on that, on that regard as well, in that regard as well. So what would you say to somebody right now that is not able to, you know, maybe they have health insurance, um, but they're not able to effectively use it because of the costs are so high. Should they be talking to their congressperson or their state legislator? Like what should you do if you are mad at the system right now and you want it to change? Absolutely. Reach out to your state legislator uh, and your member of Congress, your senator, uh, let them know that, um, you're in a high deductible plan if you are, and most people are now, uh, and that you're concerned uh, of what that might mean. The, the, the problem is, of course, that fortunately, most of us in this country go year in and year out with good health. Uh, you are certainly an example of someone who probably had good health and then you didn't. Uh, and then you realize um, uh, what happens, you get a dreaded diagnosis treated for a very dangerous disease or condition. Um, so that works against us, but I would encourage everyone to reach out to your member of Congress or your state legislator uh, as one, one, one thing you should do. The other is please don't not get the care that you need because of concern about an out-of-pocket obligation. Uh, as terrible as that is, uh, there, there could be some things that you can do after you get your care, the care that you need to try to reduce uh, what you owe. Um, uh, there's a, a, a good uh, book out that Marshall Allen, who's a former reporter at ProPublica, wrote. It's never pay the per first bill. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really solid advice. And he gives example after example of people who uh, have been hit with bills that they shouldn't have been hit with, uh, errors that were made on the provider's part or on the insurer's part. So don't pay the first bill. Uh, figure out ways that you can negotiate for a lower out-of-pocket payment or uh, uh, just try to see if you, whatever you can do to reduce your obligation. And sometimes you can get out of uh, paying 
uh, the entire bill. Yeah, and we have uh, future shows where we'll have uh, experts that uh, give you advice on how to fight a medical bill, how to fight a denial of, of care if your insurance company will uh, refuses to cover something that you need. Uh, so given your experience with uh, the insurance industry, uh, what are the things if, if people live in a state like Colorado and Nevada and they got lots of postcards talking about how terrible public option would be? I mean, I live in Colorado. I got a lot of those postcards paid right. for by the insurance industry. So what what are the typical things they say to stop reform and how how do you counter those things? What's what's the truth behind it? They play what I refer to often as the jobs card and the tax card. Those are the two principal cards that they'll play. And there are other lies that they tell or other important truths that they obscure. Um, first of all, uh, I use the word obscure purposefully uh, because uh, these campaigns often, they may have uh, some basis of truth, but what they're trying to do is scare you into believing uh, that uh, something terrible is going to happen to you uh, and for you to... Uh, uh, be more content with the devil you know than the devil you don't know. So that's the game that they're playing. They invariably will say that the legislation will cost people their jobs, uh, and they will say that your taxes will go up. The reality is when you have uh, legislation that establishes a good, robust public option, more people will get coverage and have coverage that they can afford. Uh, so uh, that is beneficial to everyone in the state, and it can serve to bring down premiums overall. If you have a, a plan that is competing against uh, profit-making and profit-obsessed health plans, that will serve over time to bring down the cost of, of health insurance premiums. And uh, consequently, I think the cost of health care itself, uh, because a, a good public option can help to do that in ways that private insurance companies cannot, nor do they want to really do. Uh, here's something that most people don't know. As health care costs go up, as drugs, dr the price of drugs go up, as the price of hospital care goes up, uh, insurance companies don't care all that much. They talk a good game, but as that happens, they are able to d demand more and more uh, in higher premiums from their customers. And that gives them more money to, to work with uh, to convert to profits. I used to handle financial uh, PR for Cigna for 10 years. So I know how this works. But uh, the, the jobs card, I think, is especially insidious. Uh, but the current system inhibits entrepreneurship. It uh, uh, continues to keep people locked into jobs. Thank goodness we have the Affordable Care Act and the marketplace plans because that is available to, to people when they lose jobs or if they want to start their own business. Um, but still, a lot of people are afraid of losing the benefits that they currently have. They may be richer than they otherwise would be or would be uh, and cost them less than going to the ACA marketplace. So uh, uh, if you have a public option, for example, or even uh, a single payer health uh, care system, as California was considering, uh, that can end that fear of job lock. Uh, and I think, in my view, unleash an era of entrepreneurship like we haven't seen in this country in a long time. Absolutely. So are there any other thoughts you would like to uh, give our audience about healthcare reform, um, what they should be doing or uh, what they should not be listening to if they get scare uh, mailers and they see scare ads on TV? I would like for them to maybe follow me on Twitter at Wendell Potter. 
uh, I write a Substack uh, called Wendell Potter Now, and I am going uh, company by company when they announce their profits uh, every quarter uh, to analyze how much money they've made, uh, where that money is coming from. And it might surprise a lot of folks, uh, actually surprised me, that almost all of their growth in their health plan membership, in fact, uh, for some health plans, it's been entirely uh, the only source of their growth. And that has been the public programs, Medicare Advantage, Medicare Supplement, and uh, the Medicaid programs that these big insurers manage for the states. I was just reviewing... Uh, Aetna's financials, Aetna's now part of CVS, since 2010, the year that the Affordable Care Act was passed, Aetna has actually seen a decline, a drop in membership in its commercial plans. Uh, and uh, the percentage of small employers that are able to offer coverage has continued to decline. Less than, fewer than a third of businesses with 50 workers or less or fewer are able to offer coverage now. These companies uh, uh, have often said know how to do one thing, and that's to make money. Uh, two things: one is to bamboozle the public, and that includes our our policymakers. But they have just been making out like gangbusters since the Affordable Care Act was passed. Before then, as well, too. But they know how to game the system. Uh, every way from sun. Well, thank you very much, Wendell Potter. We'll be back next week. And our topic will be what to do when your insurance company uh, refuses to cover the care you need, how you fight those uh, insurance denials. And thanks for watching Care Talk. <music>